This is The Cable. Big bid on 10-year treasuries over the last week. Is this just a political fight, some political theatre? A lot of people saying, no thank you, step back. You're saying, get in, why? Your connection from the London market close to the US market action. It is too easy just to blame Brexit. Surely it can't be anything means bye-bye-bye. The Cable. An historic moment from which there can be no turning back. With Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. Good afternoon, good afternoon to the City of London. I'm Jonathan Farrow. You are listening to The Cable live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. It's just gone 5pm in the city. At the close today on the FTSE 100, up 7 tenths of 1%, given a nice little lift from some sizable moves in Royal Dutch Shell, up by about 2%. BP, up by 1.4%. The energy players getting a nice little lift from a big bid into crude this year. Brent up by about 20% on the year, up by 1% and changed on the session. $80.26 on Brent. We haven't seen that number since late 2014. Brent crude trading with an 80 handle. Elsewhere in the FX market, a stage set as follows. Sterling looking like this against the dollar. 135 flat up about a tenth of 1% more broadly in G10. The dollar stronger against pretty much everything else, including the euro. Euro weakness for a fourth straight session. Euro bleeding lower to south of 118 at 117.96. And for anyone following the Treasury market action, yields look like this today, getting up to 1.3 point rather, 3.11%, up by another basis point on the session so far. Your high for the day is a 312. Numbers we haven't seen for about seven years. So that's the feel of this market cross-asset. Let's get you some top stories. Here's Charlie Pellet. And thank you very much, Jonathan Farrell. We begin with interest rates, and according to a Bloomberg survey of economists, lower than expected, UK growth this year will not stop the Bank of England from at least one interest rate increase. Nearly 60% of economists see a hike at the August meeting, the poll conducted, by the way, the week after the BOE's May 10th policy announcement when it left its key rate at 0.5%. The Pope weighing in on finance. Warren Buffett once called them financial weapons of mass destruction. Now Pope Francis is taking aim at derivatives. In a sweeping critique of global finance released by the Vatican, the Holy See singled out derivatives, including credit default swaps for particular scorn, calling them, quote, a ticking time bomb. And a former Barclays trader accused of rigging a benchmark interest rate downplayed his seniority at the bank, telling a London court his job was comparable to working at a fast food restaurant. Carlo Palumbo said, as being a vice president of Barclays is, quote, the equivalent to the guy that serves you at McDonald's. Latest from the news desk, Jonathan Farrell, back to you. I imagine the salary package is quite different. I would, too. On the other hand, at McDonald's, you get all the Big Macs and all the French fries you can eat, which certainly beats out a day at Barclays. You sound like a child. (laughs) That's a a childlike view of where you would like to work when you grow up. I'm just just suggesting this is what this gentleman said in court. Charlie Pellet. My pleasure, sir. We'll catch up with you in about 28 minutes' time. I want to bring in the, uh, the panel for the next 25 minutes time. Um, Joining me is Tim Craighead, Senior European Strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence, and Paul Dobson, European Markets Managing Editor. Paul, I know you wanted to get this out of the way with. Um, Do you want to talk about Spurs? Just quickly, Uh, just get it out. Well, you know, it ended okay, didn't it, Jonathan? It was you okay, were giving mate. me giving me lots of heat. I mean, okay, it wasn't it wasn't uh, there were no trophies at the end of it, but uh, you know, we'll top take four third. finish, yeah, top four finish, and, Champions and, League, and a few players in the England squad too. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still, you know, like I said, young team still looks bright. As long as they can hold it together, you know, the key is they need to do something now to make sure that the, the group stays intact, that we don't lose the manager, that we don't lose the playmaker. Any, we any, don't move any the goal. flight risk in the team? What about Deli Ali? bit worried. Well, he's more expendable than some of them, I would say, to be honest. But yeah. um, Who are you worried about? Worried about Ericsson. Yeah. Can't lose Ericsson. And worried about uh, Pochettino. Who's, who's having a look at Ericsson? Apparently, apparently Barcelona, only according to, you know, reports in the rumour mill and that sort of stuff. But, uh, you know, if we don't have that person that can really pull the strings and make everything happen, then we won't look so good next season. As the American in the room, it always strikes me as interesting, the volatility, if you want to think about it this way, in terms of who, who actually leads British football, or should I say soccer. Um, it's, it, you know, it. It's one team this year. It's another team next year. Look at the last what it's four changed. years. I have to admit, Tim, it's crazy. Something. It's changed a lot recently, hasn't it, Paul? I remember, you know, being a kid. It was like Liverpool, Liverpool, then Manchester United, Manchester United, then Arsenal for a little bit of a patch, and now it's gone Chelsea, City, United. Like it, it, it's something changing hands every year a little bit more often. Yeah, well, it's a bit of an arms race as well, isn't it? You know, everybody's spending more, accumulating. It. Talking of an arms race, it used to be an arms race to accumulate fixed odds betting terminals on your uh, bookie shop floor because you could make so much money from them. Just to touch on that story just a little bit, Paul, because I know you've taken a little bit of a look at it. Um, £2 is now the maximum bet. You used to be able to bet £100 on these betting terminals. How has the market reacted to this, Paul? Yeah, well, well, it's interesting. I mean, the, the good news, if you look at it this way, is that um, it's actually already priced in uh, for the bookmakers. So Petty yeah. Power... Uh, ending the day high, I think Ladbrokes as well, after a little bit of weakness at the Open, you know, they've been ready for this hit. And OK, so it's a, it's a pretty nasty one. But at the same time, they've got some good news, the UK bookmakers. Um, they've been lifted by the opportunity to offer better odds on US sporting matches. So there's a whole new uh, market opening up for them over there where you are that they're, that they're yeah. really excited about so they're, they're already geeing up for that one if you will and you know but I think kind of bring, coming back to the two pound limit there's some really interesting statistics in the story about not what it's going to do just for those companies but you know because it's going to kill those machines off no one's going to use them if it's only two pounds so no one's going to go into the betting shops anymore so there's going to be betting shop closures everywhere yeah. there's going to be job losses the, the, and it's going to feed back it's going to hurt the horse racing industry as well there's going to be here we go 20,000 21,000 job losses wow and a 50 million pounds hit for the uk horse racing industry wow william hill saying that they the forecast a gaming revenue hit of as much as 45 percent and said 900 of its shops or 38 percent of the total could become unprofitable. That's William Hill, that's seen by analysts as, as most exposed to the measure. This has been a story that I think people have been bracing for um, for quite a while with some of these bookies. And the accusation, because these fixed-odd betting terminals, the, the law that came in over a decade ago was to limit the amount you could have in a store to four. And the accusation was that many of the bookies were going around opening more stores so they could just have multiples of four. So I imagine there's quite a few stores if that was what was taking place um, that probably do need to shut down. Aside from the bookies, um, I've got two minutes to schedule in to talk about Brexit quickly. Um, where are we, Paul? Oh, uh, is, that, is that still happening? <laughs> yeah, apparently. I mean, Prime Minister May preparing the ground to keep the UK inside um, 
the EU's core trade rules for years after Brexit, apparently. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm joking with you. And actually, that, that helped the pounds a little bit today. We were up earlier. The, the idea that maybe we'll, the UK will be in the customs union for a number of years while they sort out exactly how to extricate themselves from there is seen as a positive. But, you know, sort of every, every bit of market-friendly news like that has the next step. Everybody starts thinking, well, hang on a second, because this isn't going to go down with the pro-Brexit brigade yeah. very well. You know, so it just puts pressure back on May. Can she hold her government together? Sounds like we are exactly where we always were, Tim. And I'm hearing a lot of people, Tim Craighead, talking about buying UK equities now, buying a FTSE. Well, <clears throat> it, it, it's, uh, it's procrastination, which we've been talking about for, for a while from our Bloomberg News colleagues. And, you know, that's certainly in full force. The market is being driven in part by the weakening of the pound uh, versus the dollar after its stellar rise. Uh, and it's been driven by oil, which is, you know, 20% of the weight of the FTSE. And you've got Royal Dutch, you've got BP tearing yeah. like they are. We just put a note out yesterday looking at technical red flags. Um, and you know the old adage about selling May. Maybe it's selling June. I don't know. Uh, we have some work to do on this one. Okay. Tim Craighead, Paul Dobson sticking with me. Next up on the cable, really interesting deal. Transatlantic, UK grocer Ocado's major Kroger deal. And why it may open up some M&A potential. That conversation's next. You listen to the cable live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio with a stronger finish to the day on the FTSE 100. This is Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable, live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. You're listening to Bloomberg Radio, 5.10pm in the city. Really decent end to the day. The FTSE 100 up by 7 tenths of 1%. Gains across the continent. The DAX up by 9 tenths of 1%. The underperformance from Italy as they try and put a government together. The FTSE, the gains driven by... A pop higher on BP and Shell, having a decent few weeks off the back of a crude rally. Brent up to $80.18 right now, up by 1.14%. WTI just inching higher by about 0.27% to 71.68. In the FX market, sterling largely unchanged on a day. We're trading at about 135.17 on the session, up by about a quarter of 1% at the moment. More broadly, though, I think what's interesting is that the pound is outperforming the rest of its G10 peers. Some sterling strength of just a quarter of 1%, but relative to weakness elsewhere against the stronger dollar. It gives you an idea of just how strong maybe the pound is on the session relative to everything else. Euro dollar down to 118, softer for a fourth straight day, pretty much unchanged at the moment. But the dollar strength story is the one to watch in FX and, and maybe cross asset over the last month or so. A story I do want to talk about is Ocado, the group's agreement to license its home delivery technology to US supermarket chain Kroger is the online grocer's biggest deal so far. Kroger making a 5% stake in Ocado may also pave the way for M&A options in the future. This is according to the investment bank Beringberg. The shares soared as much as 51% to a record high and adding about £1.8 billion to the market value and making the company a potential candidate possibly for inclusion on the FTSE 100 as well. Still with me, Tim Craker senior European strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence and Paul Dobson, European Markets Managing Editor. How important is this deal for Ricardo, Paul? 
Oh, it's uh, pretty pretty transformational if you look at the uh, share price, uh, Jonathan. I think actually as much as 81% by the end of the day. Uh, wow. It's, uh, yeah, flown flown higher. Obviously, there was, um, well, not obviously, but um, in case you didn't know, there was some pretty significant short positioning in the stock. So I didn't know that. Reason, That's interesting. Yeah, I think I think it was one of the most short. I think it had like 10% or something. Um, and so as uh, it started to rise, obviously, that flushed out all of the people sitting on those those positions and presumably uh, contributed to further gains for the stock. So, I, I mean, it, it's big and, you know, it's a whole new market and it's kind of, you know, in the last year, maybe, suddenly everything has turned around for Mercado. First, he got yeah. the deal with Casino in France and now this... Um, and Morrison's a number of years ago, um, Paul. That's it. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So I was asking my colleagues because you know it's not. I don't follow individual companies all that closely. But I was saying, is it is it a you know a retailer or is it a tech company? Obviously, suddenly it's being treated much more like a, a tech company on a global scale rather than a, a local kind of like a supermarket delivery company. Yeah, this is um, about expertise, um, Tim. And one of the hardest things with online shopping is online delivery, and it's getting these goods to where they need to go. Yeah, I mean, for sure. And it's it's interesting, the, 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 the technology that they've developed um, is, is intriguing in that they can fill an order in this robotic um, fulfillment center uh, in a matter of moments relative to the typical manual process or what, you know, a lot of retailers have been doing uh, as a, as a, click and collect where you 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 order online and go to a store and pick it up and somebody manually has filled the order um, so it's, it's wholly different and it is transformational and it's intriguing to uh, to think about uh, what everybody thought was you know a simple online whatever that uh, actually has globally relevant technology yeah. um, this is one of those deals that's also unusual in that both companies actually traded up you know kroger's up that's true and these, Good point, and these guys are up um it's potentially provides kroger an opportunity to better compete against the likes of amazon and walmart which has been an issue for them uh and clearly uh you know as paul had said you know what was 10 percent shorts not long ago it was actually 22 percent shorts and that market so they got cap crushed now on Ocado, five billion pounds um five billion pounds on Ocado. and and bear in mind that walmart bought jet.com for similar reasons, for $3.3 billion. I'm wondering which one would have been the better acquisition, just thinking about it, if you had to buy one of those companies. Tim Craighead, Senior European Strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence, and Paul Dobson, European Markets Managing Editor. Next up, Italy, forming a government. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable. Live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio, this is Bloomberg Radio. Just to run you through some of the price action today, the FTSE 100 having a really decent session up by about 7 tenths of 1% on the day. Positive, almost 54 points. Best day for the FTSE in about a week or so. You've got to go back to May 9th. Positive for three straight days as well on the FTSE 100 through the week so far. Elsewhere in the equity market, the DAX up by 9 tenths of 1%, gains across much of the continent. In the United States, we grind higher by about a 2 tenths of 1%, up by not even a tenth of 
on the the Dow up by 0.17 on the S&P 500. In the FX market, dollar strength is story against most of G10, though we do start to give some of that up. Against the euro, we're pretty much flat at 118, unchanged on the day really, down by just 0.04%. Cable sterling really where the outperformance is. Maybe some optimism around what Brexit may or may not look like. I use the word optimism loosely, depending on which side of the debate you stand on. I do not want to go there. 135.17 is where sterling is, uh, up by two-tenths of 1%. In the Treasury market, the story looking a little something like this, up a basis point on the US 10-year to 3.1057%. Remember, we took out the 2018 high of 3.045%, something like that. A similar high for the 2014 high as well. We took that out too, and now we're at highs we have not seen since uh, 2011. At the front end of the curve, we're down two basis points to 2.56%. What's interesting about the shape of the Treasury curve is how it's steepened over the last week. It's been flattening over much of the last year, but steepening over the last week. The difference between twos and tens now, uh, north of 50 basis points after being around 40 basis points just a, a week ago. Elsewhere in terms of the commodity market, this is what helped give BP and Shell a lift on the FTSE today. Brent through 80 for the first time since late 2014. Just south of that now at $79.93, up by 8 tenths of 1%, and WTI crude up to 71.65, up by 2 tenths of 1%. To get to the other story we've been looking at, five-star leader Luigi Di Maio said Italy's populist parties have yet to agree on a candidate for prime minister, though most of the outstanding issues for this coalition pact with the league have been settled. Di Maio said he expects the deal to be settled today after a earlier five-star official said that the agreement had been sealed. League officials had said no deal had yet been reached on the programme or on the uh, Prime Minister's spot. Newswire Answer had been reporting that. The League did not respond to a request for comment. I can tell you Italian government bonds have been shaken by all of this news. Ten-year BTP yields unchanged on the day but aggressively higher over the last month. 2.115% is your yield on an Italian 10-year at the moment. Uh, for some final thoughts, Tim Craighead, Senior European Strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence and Paul Dobson, European Markets Managing Director. Your thoughts, Paul, on the on the bond market action? Well, uh, the stain that we that we sort of like saw start to uh, trace its way out through the bonds market hasn't been erased, Jonathan. Despite the fact that we've had some efforts at reassurance from the uh, from the uh, the potential leaders as they as they try to lock down this coalition and form a government, uh, you know the the yields are higher uh, by some way, and the bonds are definitely being looked at in a different light to what we had seen in previous weeks when you've had me on and we've been saying there are all these reasons why yields would be contained. If you yeah. mention the possibility of a write down of your bonds, bond investors aren't going to forgive you in a second about that. <laughs> and then it turns out that actually they didn't want to write down and they wanted the changes to accounting rules. And they didn't want the ECB debt to be counted towards debt to GDP ratios. I guess the bottom line is, Tim, they just want to spend more. Well, they want to they want to spend more, no doubt, and they've got to figure out uh, a way to pay for it, which is obviously the issue with the market. Um, more supply. And it's it's and it's it's a populist movement, and that's that makes sense where they're coming from. Um, you know, the issue from an investor perspective is, you know, this isn't a good thing for bank debt, uh, potentially. And yeah. banks are almost, literally, almost 40% of the market in Italy. I mean, think about that. If you look at the FTSE MIB, um, 
It, you know, it's it's loaded. So, you know, there's that consideration and subject to where this goes, if there's ramifications for the, the, the European Union more broadly, you know, if Italy were to go back into a basket case situation, I mean, that's why we've seen the euro on a, on a, on a trade-weighted basis down about 3% from its peak about a month ago. So big overweight last year was buy Europe, buy Europe, Tim. Does any of this challenge that? Well, it, yes, it could. I mean, our, our view is more sanguine uh, in that we do think that some of the concern about uh, where the economy has been going is, is a little temporary, and we should get a little bit more of a bid from that perspective. Okay. Um, the euro trading down actually brings it into a flat year-on-year basis as we get into the second half of the year. And so that massive headwind of a strong euro disappears. Yeah. And we actually think we're going to see an acceleration in earnings growth as we get into the second half and into 2019, which actually presents a pretty interesting compare and contrast versus the U.S., where we actually expect to see a deceleration in earnings growth. Paul, do you see that enthusiasm coming through to, to add to European risk assets? Well, I, I mean, you can look at it in two ways, can't you? If you look at the stock 600 in euros, it's looking pretty good right now. It's almost recovered all of the losses uh, since we had that peak on January the 23rd. And then we had that, what one of my colleagues was calling a waterfall uh, towards the end of January and start of February, where prices really came off a cliff. If you change it to dollars, though, you can see that a lot of the benefits have come from the uh, weaker exchange rate. In, in dollar terms, the index hasn't really gone anywhere recently. So I think... The interest from U.S. investors that was there last year is not so strong this year. That's pretty uh, clear. Yeah. Um, on, on the other hand, y- you know, you've got to assume that the slowdown in growth is only temporary. Um, and, you know, even if global growth isn't as strong this year as it was towards the back half of last year, there's still plenty of opportunities for Europe. There's still risks on the horizon, though, Jonathan. You know, we've got... Trump's going to turn his attention at some point in trade terms to Europe, isn't he? There's stuff coming out of Sofia where policymakers are meeting. Not very friendly. Yeah, so there are risks, but there are also reasons to be optimistic. There always are. Paul Dobson, European Markets Managing that Editor. Guys, great to catch up with you alongside Tim Craighead, Senior European Strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence. Appreciate your time, guys. Next up on the programme, we take it from London and bring it to here in New York, where we talk about global trade and the president's map. Will they all be president around the table with uh, the Chinese as trade talks get underway in DC? That conversation's next. This is The Cable. This is Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable. Live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio, you are listening to Bloomberg Radio. 5.30 in London, at a close today. Really nice session for the FTSE 100, up by 7 tenths of 1%. Given a lift by BP and Shell, fueled by what's happening in the commodity market. Crude through $80 a barrel on Brent for the first time since late 2014. 79.93 is where we trade right now, up 8 tenths of 1%. In the FX market, sterling outperformance, 135.21. Dollar strength elsewhere, particularly against EM. Dollar lira with another 1% move. Much more on EM in a bit. Let's get you some top stories now. It's Charlie Pellet. Hi, thank you very much, Jonathan Farrell. Royal Mail, Britain's 500-year-old postal service, says it expects rules designed to 
rein in the abuse of personal data to weigh on letter volumes as companies are forced to scrap targeted marketing campaigns. It says the introduction of the European Union's general data protection regulation from May 25th means postal demand may suffer an accelerated decline. According to a Bloomberg survey of economists, slower than expected UK growth this year won't stop the Bank of England from at least one interest rate increase. Nearly 60% of economists see a hike coming at the August meeting. And a former Barclays trader accused of rigging a benchmark interest rate downplayed his seniority at the bank, telling a London court that his job was comparable to working at a fast food restaurant. Carlo Palumbo says being a vice president at Barclays is, quote, the equivalent to the guy that serves you in McDonald's. He and three others are accused of fixing the Euro interbank offered rate. Latest from the news desk, Jonathan Farrell, back to you. I understand that the former trader earned a million pounds in 2007. Um, <laughs> and the point? <laughs> my point, I guess, is you can't really compare that to anyone working at McDonald's, can you? Maybe, uh, maybe Steve Easterbrook, who, who runs the company. <laughs> <laughs> but, valid point. But not on the front line. Um, Charlie, fascinating story. You left me speechless on that one, mate. Thank you, sir. Um, Lisa, I can see you itching to get in on this. Oh, yeah, just dying to. <clears throat> I just saw you turn the mic on and sort of like go to say something about the guy that compares a million pounds to his to a job at McDonald's. You know, I'm surprised you're going here. I, I just figured there was one story on the Bloomberg Terminal that just had your name written all over about, uh, all over it. The Pope. Are the, you interested in that? He's, he's, he's got some things to say about derivatives. Yeah, he's not, he's not a fan of credit default swaps. And um, I thought that yeah, you'd find it amusing that God is is you know snubbing his nose at at the derivatives industry weapons, weapons of mass destruction aren't they well yeah that that's warren buffett's line but he called them a ticking time bomb kind of interesting so he's like that's a stage below warren <laughs> buffett isn't it well i mean it could be a ticking Depend time bomb could, and then when it blows a, up could be a ticking weapon of mass destruction. that's right i mean what kind of bomb maybe he's been speaking to warren I, I mean, don't know. It's pretty interesting, though. I don't know. Trade story is pretty interesting. Is Navarro in talks today or not? Does he meet with the Chinese or is he not allowed? What is going on with this? I don't get it. Because basically there was a there was a story that, that Bloomberg broke saying that Peter Navarro had basically been removed from talks with China. And this comes after his very vocal uh, disagreements with China and basically accusing them of creating all sorts of trade imbalances and saying that uh, they're really the enemy. So people were sub uh, suggesting that perhaps he was kept out of the talks to try to sort of like grease the wheels. And now he's being brought back in because you want to clunk up the wheels. I don't know. What do you want to do? Nanan, does it make sense to you? Uh, it's difficult. If someone is antagonizing China and you want to reach a deal with China, it's kind of hard to get there. Do I don't know, know. Do we know what he did yet? The reports suggest that he misbehaved. I don't know what misbehaving is in China. What well, is it? What did he do? Or the US for that matter. Yeah, I don't know what he did. <laughs> Um, Larry Kudlow caught up with reporters, the director of the National Economic Council, speaking with reporters about the significance of the meeting between the United States and the Chinese this week um, earlier at the White House. Take a listen. There's great interest here in furthering the deal and furthering negotiations and trying to reach some remedies regarding unfair and illegal trading practices. That's what we want. And of course, the president. Every set, look, we've all had meetings and when we were in the embassy in, in, in Beijing and here, and he's been very involved, very hands-on. This is a huge issue. 
Ms Larry Cudlow there. These sides are expected to exchange new proposals during the top-level talks today and tomorrow, according to Mr Cudlow. The Chinese Vice Premier... Lou Her is also scheduled to meet with Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin, Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross and US Trade Representative Rob Lighthizer, according to the, the White House. I should introduce you formally. Um, I just That's consider right. you both such good friends that you're just Lanana. Lisa, what do you think? Um, Lisa Brambitz, host of Bloomberg Markets in the United States. Lanana Nguyen, Bloomberg FX and, and Bond reporter. What's the minimum condition for success, success, success this week um, with these talks? What is it? Do we know? Uh, I mean, after the ZTE thing, I'm wondering whether President Trump is expecting a pretty big concession by China, because it seems like President Trump has kind of put himself out there as removing a, a possible kind of negotiating tool ahead of these. Yeah. And so to me, it seems like if there is not some kind of statement or action by China to remove some of the barriers uh, to entry with some of the agricultural products that have been rotting uh, and delayed to get into China, I think that should be viewed as a failure for the U.S. anyway. Yeah, I think we have to gauge whether we're still in the bluster phase or whether the details phase is now starting. And as Feels Lisa like we're said, out of bluster, doesn't it? Yeah, it sounds like we're getting to details and we're getting to the, uh, you know, the compromises that eventually take place. And as Lisa said, some concessions that are being made. So you have to have concessions on both sides that uh, allow everyone to save face. Just to be clear, I don't think we're ever going to be out of the bluster phase, but there might actually be something that gets done. Yeah, I <laughs> just think we go from bluster phase on one issue and bluster phase to another issue. I just yeah. think on this particular issue, we might be through the bluster phase. Yeah, the negotiating tactic is go hard at the beginning. Start and then, extreme. Yeah, start extreme and then you know walk it back. And so, maybe we are in the walk back stage now. So I just wonder what we end up with. There's a huge trade imbalance that they want to be addressed um it would take years and there are of course structural issues for that trade imbalance there are access to market issues that need to be addressed i don't know how sensitive the chinese will be to them considering some of them are a core part of their made in china 2025 plan lanan how realistic is it to get the chinese to to fold to what are very reasonable requests they are very reasonable requests to get the chinese to open up but whether they follow through is just a completely different thing. Yeah, I think we have to see whether the Chinese are interested in reciprocating, retaliating in this uh, trade war that Donald Trump has uh, tried to open up um, globally or whether everyone is going to try and save face and yeah. and come up with a more moderate posture. Uh, the Chinese so far have been very measured in their responses to U.S. political maneuvers, you know, the Taiwan thing, and, uh, you know, they, we didn't name them a currency manipulator. So... Everything has been walked back a bit, so I would say continue to watch for walking back. Not not a currency manipulator because they they help with North Korea apparently, if I recall correctly. That's right, Lisa. I'm struck by soybeans and the import numbers. Oh, you want to bring that up again? <laughs> I think it's really, really interesting because it looks like they're not taking a hard line, China. Really? But in practice, they kind of are. Really, the soybeans. Just watch the soybeans. It's going to tell you everything because, you need because, to know. Because Russia has started supplying soybeans to It's not, it's not just started. To they increased their imports yeah. or exports to China by threefold. Yeah. I mean, come on. No, I'm interested. Yeah, tell sound, me more. I can I can hear the tell, interest tell in your me voice. More. Don't worry, that's not the music that's taking us to the break. Tell me more. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> You're going down, next, Jonathan Farrow. Next stuff on the program, <laughs> soybeans. Um, it's not. It's emerging markets. That's next. You're listening to The Cable. This is Flinberg Radio. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. You listen to The Cable live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. This is Bloomberg Radio, a conversation coming to you now about emerging markets, where the Harvard economist Carmen Reinhardt has turned heads through the week with her comments on EM, saying they're in worse shape now than during the global financial crisis in 2008. Her assessment comes at a time when investors are turning more cautious on the asset class and downright bearish on markets like Argentina, Indonesia and Turkey. Opinions differing on whether the recent turbulent is uh, just a blip or the start of something bigger. The picture also varies from economy to economy, with some in better shape than others. Still with me, Lisa Abramovitz of Bloomberg Markets on Bloomberg Radio and on Bloomberg TV, and Lanan Nguyen, Bloomberg FX and Bond reporter. As bad as 08, Lanan, seems very extreme. Well, Carmen Reithart Reinhardt did write the book on financial crises, so uh, people are sitting up and listening to this because obviously she has a long academic history of studying crises, not just 08, but the Asian financial yeah. crisis and others. So, um, yeah, it sounds pretty bad. She also raises an interesting point that a lot of emerging markets now are indebted to China. It's not just their debt to the U.S. and dollar-denominated de- debt. So, uh, you know, if China is exposed and these countries are exposed to China, then we could have more ex- more risk than markets are taking. Lisa, I know you like a good report from the credit rating agencies. Fitch out with one. Yeah. $19 trillion is where the debt load is at, the outstanding debt of emerging markets up from, I think, five a decade ago. Right. It's a big boom, and I don't know how much GDP has grown um, in line with that debt story. Okay, so here are the two schools of thought. Uh, On one hand, it sounds terrible, and they're all going to hell in a handbasket. And, you know, especially as the dollar strengthens, if it does continue to strengthen, emerging markets currencies will fall out of bed, and we're going to see a bloodbath. On the flip side, people have been saying that they have actually piled debt on at a much slower pace than developed nations, and they have actually accelerated uh, their GDPs at a much faster pace. So they actually have seen uh, much faster growth. So, you know, that's sort of the flip side. And then you have sort of this macro story that sort of complicates the issue, which is this move from products to services. Uh, in developed economies, which is a problem for emerging markets, so that there it sort of is a headwind to their ability to grow the same way that they always have. So you put this all together, and you know, just a few weeks ago, people were saying it doesn't matter if ten-year Treasury yields will go to three and a half percent. It doesn't matter if the Federal Reserve is going to tighten uh, policies faster. EM can hand can handle it. They can they can stick it in this time because they actually are in really good shape. And now people are seeing that there are a lot of tourist investors that have been looking for an alternative to develop market assets. And there's a huge currency bet embedded into this that's reliant on the dollar continuing to weaken. And that picture is scaring people into reality, which is that these are different from developed markets and that there yeah. is much more risk. And the dollar is starting to turn. Yes, dollars starting to turn. It's now heading for its fifth weekly gain. That's the longest since 2015. Wow, has it been that long? Yeah. So the dollar is, uh, you know, against many expectations. Uh, The dollar has been surprisingly strong over the last couple of months. And so, again, to Lisa's point, this is starting to worry people. Is this dollar strength going to last and is it going to upset some of those emerging market bets? How many people believe this is more than just short covering? 
more than more a lot than of people. Before. Yeah, more in the last, last few week. weeks, I've been yeah. hearing more and more dollar bulls kind of coming to the fore. At least people who are questioning their bearish, uh, their bearish view. I'm listening to uh, David Bloom at HSBC, who called the top in the U.S. dollar. Yeah, was it around 2015? Uh, I he was early. He was early in in calling the top, and now he's gone the other way. He's yeah. now calling for the dollar to strengthen um, after being a dollar bull for more than a year. Yeah, or a dollar bear. Amazing. More than a year. Lana Newen, Bloomberg FX and bond reporter, and Lisa Bramitz, host of Bloomberg Markets in the United States. So sticking with me, next up on the program, we'll run you through some things for the day ahead to close out the week for you. Get some few final thoughts from our guests as well and get Lisa's thoughts on agricultural commodities, none to the pros as soft commodities or just ags. I, I mean, honestly, it's just going to be a full five minutes on soybeans. Is it? Is that what you've got for I'm gonna, us? I'm going to describe the look of them, the smell of them, the feel of them. Okay. Um... Lisa's going to do that somewhere else, and I hope you'll stay with us so Lennon and I can talk about markets. Royal Wedding. No, no. Do you know about that? The Royal Wedding is like a complete lockdown on this program. Banned. Banned with Brexit talk. You listen to The Cable. This is Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrell on Bloomberg Radio. You're listening to The Cable live across the capital. On DAB Digital Radio, some highlights for your day ahead. Cleveland Fed President Loretta Mester speaking on monetary policy at an ECB conference in Frankfurt. Bank of Portugal Governor Carlos Costa, Lloyds Banking Group CEO Antonio Horta Rosario, and Nova Banco CEO Antonio Romalio speaking in Lisbon. Why have my producer done this to me in banking I know, I really and insurance, this. the future of money? Um, if anyone's interested in that um, Russian President Vladimir Putin and German <laughs> Chancellor Angela Merkel meeting in Sochi, Russia to discuss Ukraine and Russian natural gas exports on the eco agenda we get the rig count over the next day or so Canadian retail sales and CPI a Mauritius rate decision really? <laughs> <laughs> what, what are you doing to me? Um, Chilean GDP the Argentinian Keep budget going. balance Keep and going. Japanese CPI. I feel like my producer just took a list of everything happening on the planet. A Mauritius rate decision. <laughs> now, if there's an MPC somewhere in the world that I want to serve on, it's that central bank right there. Wouldn't that be a great gig? Would it? Go yeah. to the beach? Go to the beach all afternoon? Just go to the beach. Fiji central bank. Monitor the island economy. Ah, <laughs> uh, come on. It probably is, is really um, a complicated and... I'm not saying that the, the job isn't complicated. I'm sure they're really talented individuals at the Mauritian Central Bank. What I am saying <laughs> is that you'd have a great time in Mauritius. And I bet you hardly any reporters show up for the news conference. I don't even know if there is one. Just think about it. It's great. In fact, as you guys Linnea. talk about what you're interested in the day ahead... Linnea, I'm going <laughs> to find out what the estimate is for the Mauritius Central Bank decision. John oh is already gosh. thinking about Friday. He's in a Friday mood. It's only Thursday. What are yeah, you guys looking is... at? Mester. Yeah. Gotta be Mester. Yeah, for sure. Anytime, you know, now, especially with uh, Treasury yields com coming up um, and the, everyone talking about the yield curve, uh, it's all about the Fed, what, what expectations we have going forward. Cool. Rates are at 3.5%, by the way. Um, no economist estimates. <laughs> I wonder why. I wonder why. I mean, on the south side, if you were if you were selling that research, you might find it a bit tough. 
It's <laughs> a gap in the market. There's a gap. Yeah, <laughs> you, you found your niche. If the MPC won't give me a role as um like communications director or something, maybe I can just be the the sole economist selling research on the Mauritius rate decision. Keep going, John. Keep going. I want to see how far you take this. Corner the market on Mauritius economic forecast. I think it's cornered just by saying that the rate is at three point five percent. And there's a decision. You're going to get up. you're going to get some Mauritian people calling you and saying, "No, this here's I what I think." Mauritian people, they, I like that. If they can, if they can tell me what they think of the economy right now, I'd welcome that. I'm interested in it. I'm not, you know, this is. I, who doesn't like Mauritius? I mean, come on, give me a break. I mean, it's an amazing place. Who wouldn't want to go to Mauritius? Have you been there? I've never been. I've just <laughs> seen those pictures, and it looks amazing. It does look amazing. It looks beautiful. Can you tell me what you're looking for tomorrow? Yeah, soybeans. Soybeans. Uh, right, you're going to get, you've got this three minutes on the clock. Do your soybeans thing. <laughs> I'm done. Um, no, what am I watching for tomorrow? I mean, I think that the key is the relationship between 10 year yields and stocks. And I think that right now we're not, we're, we don't have a narrative in terms of, whether this rise in 10-year yields is bad for stocks or whether it can be sustainable. And you get people saying both. Um, but I think that it'll be tested if it goes up much more. So I think that that's yeah. going to be an interesting relationship to watch. That's well, not as interesting as Mauritius. No, 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 no. I even soybeans it's, it's, or for sure not. Well, your point on soybeans is pretty, is pretty clear. What you think is happening is that the Chinese are diversifying away from U.S. goods. Mm -hmm. That's if, right. So they can take the, some of the heat off themselves. That's right. The ease at which they've done that on a particular good is pretty impressive, don't you think? China is the biggest soybean importer in the world. And a lot of people thought that they would go more to Brazil uh, instead of the U.S. Interesting. And they probably have. But to, sh to see how much the shipments have increased from Russia is remarkable and, and fascinating and shows that, you know, President Trump has a lot of bluster, but China has a lot of action. Yeah. And it's happening behind the scenes, and China is absolutely trying to take over uh, in terms of a power center uh, in the entire Asian region, and they are already diversifying their entire economy, so they are less dependent on the U.S. amid these talks. To me, this is dramatic, and, and it really is a game changer. So yes, I am watching soybeans. You're so um, serious, but I'm You're actually really in it. I'm really in it because to me, I think that you know actions talk louder than words, and if people want to start understanding these trade tensions and how serious they are, yeah. They have to look at the the cross the cross border flows. They're important, Lanan, and you just wonder who's got the leverage here. Yeah, I'm. It sounds like China is definitely taking action with regard to soybeans, and also um, I think they're just playing a long game. Whereas the U.S. I think is uh, making a lot of short term fireworks. Different time horizons. Well, and I will say this: the other thing that's happening in the U.S. right now is that the uh, inbox of the federal government is getting. Hundreds and thousands of emails from all of the big tech companies and even some yeah. companies that probably uh, would stand to gain, at least on the on the surface, from some of President Trump's moves like steel companies, U.S. Steel, saying, guys, walk it back. This whole thing that you're doing with the rhetoric, not good. We no, don't like it. So no. stop. And the time horizon is really important here, politically speaking, as well, because the president of the United States faces another election. And as someone, perhaps some. Um, not very tastefully said to me the other day, um, the Chinese president, there will be a funeral. I mean, it's up to him. It's yep. indefinite. You know, the, he can go on for as long as he wants now. There's no term limits in the Constitution. President Xi can take a much longer term view on what he wants to do with the Chinese economy. He does not face the electoral politics of the end of this year in the midterms and in two years' time for the presidential election. 
it's yeah. true, although just to push back a little bit, they're in a tenuous spot too because they're trying to shift uh, from a products-based uh, economy to services, and they have that huge leverage that they're trying to rein back uh, while continuing to appease sort of a shift in the population. Yeah, so I, they've got I like, completely a lot of agree. I completely yeah. agree. But when you think about the Made in China 2025 program, this president here in the United States is trying to get him in China to give up some of those goals. He's not going to give up goals in 2025 when President Trump won't be in office because potentially he only gets eight years and it's over. You know, he's just not going to play that game. He's going to have to play a short. So the time horizons for me just don't match up. Lisa Brown, it's great to catch up with you. Good luck with your um, soft commodities research a little bit later. And to Lena Nguyen, thank you very much tofu. for your time. I know you do. Um, this was The Cable. This is Bloomberg Radio.